welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, recorded on Thursday the 15th of February and brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind and with permission of the Worcester News. I'm Pippa Curtis and the team this week comprises John Plush as recording engineer, Carol Hartle and her wonderful team of volunteers on copying and admin and our readers today are Catherine Hello. And Phil. Hello. I'd like to w- extend a warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our recording today. As always, we'll include, first of all, a list of useful telephone numbers, what's on in the local theatres, etc., then followed by the headline stories, a selection of general news stories, a little bit of sport, and then finishing up with a thought for the week, the sunrise and sunset times, and, of course, the birthday file. If we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, do get in touch and we'll just add you to our file. Obituaries are now recorded after the closing music. We love hearing from you, so if you have any comments or problems, a message can be left on the answer phone. That's 01905 767 766 or just put a note in your wallet. Finally, the service is free to users, but if you'd like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House. Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5, 1DA. So, let's start this week with the telephone numbers. Phil? Yes. Wilds Lane is 01905 767 766. Listeners should be aware that this is not manned daily and need to be patient if a reply is required. Police non-emergency, 101. For police emergency, that's 112 or 999. NHS Direct is 111. Crime Stoppers, 0800 555 Worcester Hub, 01905 765 765. Worcestershire County Council here to help, 01905 768 053 and press option 1 or star. Prevention Team, that's Fire Safety, 0800 032 1155. Domestic Abuse Helpline 0800 980 331. Sense Adventures Walking for Visually Impaired. That's D. Jones on 07920 144614 or www.senseadventures.co.uk. <coughs> Bless you. Thank you. Sorry. Samaritans 116123. Worcester Live. 01905 611427 Malvern Theatres 01684 892277 Worcester Wheels for Transport and this is between 8.30 in the morning and 4.30 in the afternoon it's 01905 450654 Link Nurseries at Powick have a session for visually impaired on Friday mornings and to contact them you telephone 01905 831 for more information. National Grid in the event of a power cut, 0800 917 7953. There is a priority service available. You can register for free. Dial 0800 032 8302. To contact National Grid in an emergency and from any location, dial 105. Okay, I've got the what's on, and there is quite a lot here. Um, We're also trying to give you a bit more notice of things. So most of these events are taking place in March. 
But I will start with one which is next week because it might be something that people would be interested in. National Theatre Live, where it's uh, beamed into a um, cinema near you. This cinema happens to be the number eight art centre that's in um, High Street, Pershaw. Inquiries are at number8.org and I'll give you the phone number in a minute. I'll just tell you that it's Andrew Scott brings multiple characters to life in Simon Stevens' radical new version of Chekhov's Uncle Vanya, filmed live during its sold-out run in London's West End. And for more details, telephone 01386 555488. Over in Malvern, two uh, theatre productions to bring to your attention. The first is um, from the Monday the 4th of March to Saturday the 9th. Twelve Angry Men, a record-breaking West End production, is back in session. Uh, tickets range from £25.76 to £42.56. I'll give you the details of the number in a minute. But equally exciting is uh, Black Eyed Theatre presents the 60th anniversary tour of Joan Littlewood's musical entertainment, Oh What a Lovely War. And that's running from Tuesday the 12th to Saturday the 16th of March. But I'd like to draw your attention to the fact that the Wednesday matinee performance will be audio described and will be preceded by a touch tour. So if you're interested, tickets are between £20.16 and £33.60. Details for Malvern Theatre, 01684 892 Closer to home, we have Midland Concert Orchestra, music from the Great American Songbook. And that's taking place on Sunday the 24th of March at 7pm at the Swan Theatre. Tickets are priced between £5 and £15. Pounds. For more details, you'll need to get in touch with the Swan Theatre and uh, they'll be able to help you. And last but not least, also happening at the Swan Theatre, but a little earlier, it's uh, two former Doctor Who's coming together to take part in a performance, um, and it says it's the Crime and Comedy Theatre Company, and they're going to do a stage adaptation of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's detective tale, The Hound of the Baskervilles. So we have Colin Baker and Terry Malloy. For more details, visit worcestertheatres.co.uk. Uh, slash swan dash theatre or telephone them. In fact, I haven't quite finished. I just found one more. If you're into opera, Worcester Cathedral is set to host a unique classical music performance which will be lit by candlelight. Candlelight Concerts will present London Concertante Orchestra with a night at the opera by candlelight on Saturday, March the 2nd. Tickets are available now via the London Concertante Orchestra website, which I took the trouble to look up, and it is lowercase London Concertante, which is C-O-N-C-E-R-T-A-N-T-E dot com. And the tickets were there for Worcester for Saturday, March the 2nd. I hope I haven't overloaded everyone with that, but there's obviously quite a lot going on in March. Right, we'll get on to the main thing now, which is the headline stories. And Catherine, you have the details. Thank you, Pippa. So last Friday, February the 9th, the headline story was Woman Hit by Car, Pedestrian Suffers Life-Threatening Injuries in Zebra Crossing Collision. Saturday's headline was Landslide as Wall Collapses on Road. On Monday, the headline was City Centre Hotel Plans Revealed. 
Vision for former Debenhams store. Tuesday's headline was Parents Rally for Road Safety Action, Protests Outside School Where Car Struck Boy. On Wednesday, the headline was Man Admits Having Fake Gun in Public, 49-Year-Old Also Attacked Woman. And on Thursday, that's today, the headline is Trapped by Fire, Arson Arrest After People Saved from Second Floor Flat. So I'm going to move on now to the headline story from last Friday, February the 9th, Woman Hit by Car. A woman suffered life-threatening injuries after she was hit by a car at a zebra crossing as police appeal for witnesses to come forward. Police are appealing for witnesses following a road traffic collision involving a car and a pedestrian on Windermere Drive in Worcester. The incident happened on Wednesday at around 5.20pm when a beige Nissan Figaro was travelling from Blackpool towards Sainsbury's on Windermere Drive and collided with a woman crossing the road. The pedestrian, a woman in her 40s, was taken to the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham with life-threatening injuries. Officers investigating the collision would like to speak to anybody who saw the incident or anybody with dash cam footage from around the time it happened. Anyone with information should email sciusouth at westmercia.police.uk or call 101 using extension 773 3440. Alternatively, information can be shared anonymously with the independent charity Crime Stoppers on 0800 555 or by visiting www.crimestoppers-org.uk. We reported online how the road was closed and a police cordon was put in place near Little at one end of Windermere Drive and just after the Sainsbury's mini roundabout at the other. Tape was drawn across the road and police vehicles on blue lights enforced the road closure following the incident. A Nissan Figaro, which had been involved in the incident, was parked close by the zebra crossing. A spokesperson for the West Midlands Ambulance Service said, We were called to reports of a collision. Two ambulances, a paramedic officer and the Midlands Air Ambulance from Strensham attended the scene. On arrival, we discovered one patient, a woman, who was a pedestrian. She was found to have suffered serious injuries in the incident and received specialist trauma care at the scene before being taken to Queen Elizabeth Hospital, Birmingham, by land ambulance. Warnden's Labour councillor, Jill DeSera, said, I'm so saddened to learn of this accident on a crossing that has long been a worry for residents. My thoughts are with the lady and her family. Warnden's Conservative councillor, Owen Cleary, said, I'm shocked to learn of the car accident on Windermere Drive. Although there are traffic calming measures much further along the road, there are none on this stretch between the petrol station and Blackpool roundabout. This underlines the need for regular review of our ward's road safety. I have raised the matter with the County Council and will be asking the Highways Agency what can be done to improve safety and reduce risk. Landsliders' wall collapses on road and there's a terribly dramatic photo of a whole lot of bricks and rubble, soil and bushes spraying across Reservoir Lane. Neighbours say it had been crumbling for weeks. Residents living near a landslide said they had seen the wall crumbling in the weeks before it collapsed, closing a main road into the city. A massive pile of rubble and mud blocked Reservoir Lane 
and forced police to close a section of Rainbow Hill for safety reasons. Search and rescue dogs were used to check that no one was buried in the large mound of bricks. Fortunately, nobody was injured in the landslide and wall collapsing. The wall, 10 metres high by 8 metres long, collapsed into the road, taking down a streetlight and cables. A section of Reservoir Lane was closed to traffic and cordoned off, and Rainbow Hill was closed between the junctions of Lansdowne Crescent and Elgar Court. At around 10.30am, firefighters and police search dogs carried out a search of the rubble to ensure no one was underneath. Residents in the area suffered power cuts, but power was later restored. A Reservoir Lane resident said, My husband said he thought he'd heard something at about 6.30am and thought it was someone putting the bins out. We had our power go out at around 10. This is the second time that it's happened. The first appears to have been in 1998. It's nature with all this rain. It has been crumbling. There have been little stones on the floor. I usually leave the house at about 6.30 to go to work, but I wasn't at work today. I walked past it, and I have thought I was lucky. Another resident said, I walk past it every day. It looked flaky to me. I know they come out and check every so often. I don't think I'll be walking past that again. A Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service spokesperson said on Friday morning, a crew from Worcester Fire Station was called at 7.52am to a collapsed structure in Reservoir Lane, Worcester. The wall caused the closure of the lane. A second crew from Worcester and the Incident Command Unit and drone from Wire Forest also attended. The wall is confirmed as a retaining wall, oh, it's become imperial now, around 25 foot high by 20 foot long. A cordon is in place and Rainbow Hill is closed. On its website, National Grid said we had a power cut incident at 9.28 a.m. affecting 37 properties. We successfully restored all supplies in the area by 11.27. We are most sorry for any inconvenience. Vision for former Debenhams store. Exciting plans for a former department store to transform into a hotel have been revealed. A stunning artist's impression of what the site at 67-71 High Street could look like has also been released. The old Debenhams department store has remained empty and gathering dust after the plans for Artisan Food Hall never got off the ground. Now, Nick Carroll Architects, the agent representing the freeholders, has unveiled its exciting vision for the building, which will hopefully boost tourism in the city. In a joint statement given to the Worcester News, he said, We are pleased to announce that we have been instructed to submit ambitious plans for a hotel on the upper levels of 67-71 High Street, Worcester, which will also explore the options of extending the existing building upwards. We are excited to be progressing the transformation of this iconic city centre building, which we firmly believe will support and regenerate the vitality of this core location. We are aware that commercial occupiers are being sought for the ground and basement floors with marketing materials to be circulated shortly. The artist's impressions show a building transformed with a gold-yellow facade and the building extended upwards. Mr Carroll, whose office is based in nearby Broad Street, Worcester, said an operator was being sought to run the hotel for the upper levels. He said the pre-planning application was in motion, with an application potentially coming forward in the next few months, as the freeholders wanted it all to come to fruition as soon as possible. He said signs on the door relating to Artisan Food Hall would be taken down soon and added, 
positive talks had already been held with the council over the plans. Right. Um, on Tuesday, the headline story was Parents Rally for Road Safety Action. Pupils and parents took part in a safety rally outside a city school where a young boy was knocked over by a car. The rally took place in Stanley Road Primary School in Stanley Road, Worcester, and was organised after two crashes involving children took place in the last year. Those attending <coughs> were led into chants by Rob Collier from Bike, Worcester, who shouted, I say zebra, you say crossing, and what do we want? Safe streets. When do we want them? Now. Those on the rally then took part in a slow march from the school along Stanley Road before everyone gathered at the junction with Wilds Lane. We've previously reported how there was a crash involving a six-year-old boy and a Ford Fiesta outside the school on Friday, November the 24th. The boy was taken to Birmingham Children's Hospital and went on to make a full recovery. Lucy Green, who's part of the campaign, said... We've organised the rally to raise awareness. We want to engage highways and to make changes. There are options that can be looked at, a zebra, an island or traffic lights. We want to engage highways for them to make changes. We need to make it safe for all to cross. Mr Collier said, A kid getting knocked down outside the school is the stuff of nightmares. School streets, which see a temporary restriction on vehicles at school drop-off and pick-up times outside the school is in loads of places. There's a lot of arguments against it, but it could be brought in tomorrow if they wanted to. Councillor Lynn Denham, joint leader of Worcester City Council and also a county councillor, joined the rally on Friday, saying she was supporting them as something needed to be done. I've had loads of meetings with people around here. It's a complex traffic problem, Councillor Denham said. Any solution needs to balance everything and fit with the area. I suggested speed bumps, but Worcestershire Highways said no, which is really frustrating. It's about all of us keeping the pressure up. Lorraine Adams, the head teacher of Stanley Road, was at the event telling the Worcester News the boy who was injured is currently doing well in school. The head teacher added she was impressed with the turnout, which she said showed the strength of feeling people had about the issue. In a statement, Councillor Mike Rouse... Cabinet Member for Highways and Transport at Worcestershire County Council said last month, we're carrying out a feasibility study for a zebra crossing near the school and we're consulting on a traffic regulation order on the zigzag lines near the school. Our road safety team has recently carried out speed surveys which showed a low average speed and we have considered traffic calming measures. These would significantly reduce the residential parking availability on this street and are very unlikely to significantly reduce speed. And Wednesday's headline, that's Wednesday, February the 14th. Man admits having fake gun in public. 49-year-old also attacked woman. Selassie Clark was arrested by armed police in Lowesmore in Worcester during an incident on Saturday, February the 10th. The 49-year-old of Stanley Street, Worcester, appeared before Kidderminster Magistrates Court on Monday where he admitted two charges, common assault and possession of an imitation firearm. He pleaded guilty to possessing an imitation firearm in a public place on Saturday. The charge states that, quote, without lawful authority or reasonable excuse, end of quote, he had with him in a public place an imitation firearm, namely an orange and black handgun. 
Clark further admitted a common assault against a woman on the same date. Magistrates handed him a conditional discharge for 12 months. They ordered the forfeiture and destruction of the imitation orange and black handgun and also made a restraining order in relation to the victim of the common assault, which is due to last until February the 11th next year. Clark was ordered to pay costs of £185 and a victim surcharge of £26. A collection order was made and Clark has until Wednesday, March the 13th, to pay. In dramatic footage taken by an eyewitness and shared with the Worcester News, an officer is heard shouting, Armed police, show me your hands, while guns are pointed. After shouts of, get on the floor, police move in with a dog. Another eyewitness said, it happened around 10.30 to 11am. There were loads of police, police dogs as well. Armed police were in the street. It looked like a man was arrested, he was on the ground. It must be serious to have armed police here. And finally, the headline for Thursday, February the 15th, Trapped by Fire. A man has been arrested on suspicion of arson after thick black smoke filled a city centre flat. The butts in Worcester was closed for several hours while fire crews tackled a blaze on a second-floor flat in a three-storey building. The flat was destroyed, with the fire damaging 75% and smoke damaging 100% of the flat. A 39-year-old man has been arrested on suspicion of arson with intent to endanger life. Smoke damage around the windows of the flat could be seen from the road. Three fire queues and crews and eight firefighters worked throughout the evening to tackle the blaze. All the people in the property were accounted for and had no injuries. A spokesperson for Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service said four HWFR crews, three from Worcester and one from Malvern Fire Stations, were called at 5.46pm on February the 13th to a fire with persons reported at the Butts in Worcester. The fire involved a second-floor flat in a three-storey block with 75% of the second floor damaged by fire and 100% smoke damaged. The fire was extinguished by eight firefighters wearing breathing apparatus using two hose reel jets, one main jet and a covering jet. A nine-metre ladder, a short extension ladder and small tools were all used. All persons were accounted for and electrics were isolated. There were no casualties. Police were also in attendance. The incident was marked as pending closure at 11.15pm. The butts reopened later, just after 10.30pm that night. Worcester News has contacted West Mercia Police for a comment. So that concludes the headline stories for the whole week and we'll now move on and cover the rest of the news, if we can, in the time allotted. Right. OK, so the first story is about an action call over yobs. Exasperated people fed up with egg-throwing yobs who damaged cars and a war memorial are calling for tough action. Annoyed residents in St John's and Dines Green reporting antisocial behaviour have sparked action by police, but one councillor believes parents should also face consequences. Richard Udall, city and county councillor for St John's, called out the antisocial behaviour issues in the area, insisting the culprits and their parents should face the consequences of their actions. Antisocial behaviour in Dines Green is becoming a significant issue of concern, he said. The mindless acts of a few are beginning to undermine the quality of life of the many. Acts of vandalism, throwing eggs at property, 
damaging, bike thefts and, shockingly, an attack on the Miko War Memorial have all contributed to a growing irritation and concern among residents. Dines Green is not unique. It's happening across the city and it can no longer be ignored or brushed off. I would support an active campaign by the police to hit back and to tackle the culprits. The police need to be backed up by the courts and the culprits and their parents need to face the consequences of their actions. Mr Udall also called for more police officers to be out on the streets as a viable deterrent. Worcester City Councillor Robin Norfolk was happy to see West Mercia Police taking a keen interest in tackling antisocial behaviour issues. We haven't spoken to the police in a couple of weeks, but it's good to see an interest in antisocial behaviour in Dines Green, she said. It's been plagued by cases for some time, but having said that, Dines Green is a relatively good place to live, apart from some elements that ruin it for everyone else. I'm aware of residents in the area being affected by antisocial behaviour, particularly bullying and other issues with poor behaviour. PC Sean Haynes, who covers the two areas of Worcester, said they're working hard to tackle the issues. He said, following reports of antisocial behaviour, including vandalism, criminal damage and general disruption to the community's quality of life, we have taken action, issuing community protection notices, referring people to other agencies to assist with their behaviour, as well as arresting and putting offenders before the courts to answer for their actions. And Thursday's newspaper reminds us that river levels are high and remain so. Flood alerts remain on the River Severn in Worcester and Worcestershire after another night of heavy rain. Two environment agency alerts telling people to be prepared are currently in place at the River Severn in Worcestershire and at Kemsey Village. There is also a flood alert on the River Avon in Worcestershire. The Environment Agency said levels along the River Severn have fallen but remain high as a result of recent rainfall and the risk of flooding remains. It said, We expect flooding to affect low-lying land and roads adjacent to the river from Highley to Tewkesbury. Locations affected are Stourport, Holt Fleet, Worcester, Kemsey, Seven Stoke, Upton-upon-Severn, South Quay, Diglas Parade and the Hilton Road towpath. Flooded drains may affect the racecourse and Worcester County Cricket Ground. New Street Gate is now closed at Upton-upon-Severn. River levels at Saxons Load, Worcester, Diglis and Kemsey Yacht Club River Gages peaked on Saturday, that's February the 10th, and Budley peaked on Sunday evening, February the 11th. The agency continued, Some further rainfall is forecast over the next 48 hours and we expect river levels to remain high. We are closely monitoring the situation. Please avoid using low-lying footpaths near local watercourses, which may be flooded. River levels have fallen but also remain high at Kemsey Yacht Club River Gage as a result of the heavy rainfall. The Environment Agency adds, We expect flooding to affect low-lying land and squires walk in the area of Hatfield Brook, Kemsey. Along the River Avon, river levels have fallen but remain high at the Breeden River Gage. Other locations that may be affected include Offenham, Evesham Twining and the Eckington Road. Breeden peaked at 331 the flood alert covers River Avon from Salford Priors to Tewkesbury. The council has urged homeowners to fill in a survey about the condition of their housing. The review, conducted by Opinion Research Services, has targeted 4,000 randomly selected properties across the city with a £20 gift pay voucher up for grabs for anyone that completes it. 
The aim of the Worcester Housing Stock Condition Survey is to gauge the adequacy of both privately rented and owner-occupied properties in the area. It includes questions about the type, age and condition of the property, its energy efficiency details and whether it is a house in multiple occupation. Each distributed letter includes an access code. After completing the survey, a visit from a surveyor is arranged. Those who cannot complete the survey online are given the option to do so via a free phone number. Chair of Worcester City Council's Communities Committee, Councillor Jabba Riaz, said, We would encourage any resident who receives a letter to complete the survey and have the surveyor attend. The overall results will give us a clearer picture of the condition of people's homes in Worcester and will inform policies to help improve housing in the city. The information will be shared with the Council for the purpose of producing and publishing statistics and it won't identify any property or individual. Right, well, another flooding story, I'm afraid. Um, It has been one of those weeks, really, so we can't avoid them. But this is about Poic Old Bridge. The plight of an imperilled bridge is again in sharp focus after floodwaters battered the structure following a partial collapse compared to an open wound by heritage champion. Part of the Poic Old Bridge collapsed into the River Team at the end of last month, causing concern about the medieval bridge's future from highway engineers and heritage champions alike. Concerns were only exacerbated when Worcestershire was hit by yet more flooding over the weekend, that's just this last weekend gone, with flood warnings in force on the River Severn and River Avon. The arches of the bridge were pictured utterly submerged beneath the muddy flood water at the weekend. Meanwhile, drone footage, courtesy of Ed Daniels, showed the water close to the parapet and swirling around the section of the bridge which had already suffered the partial collapse. The bridge is treasured by historians and historical enthusiasts, not just because of its medieval origins, but because it was the scene of the Battle of Poet Bridge on September 23, 1642, the opening skirmish of the English Civil War. Worcester was also the site of the Civil War's last battle, the Battle of Worcester on September 3, 1651, And the bridge is a surviving reminder of Worcestershire's integral part in the story of this bloody episode in British history. Daniel Daniels, chairman of the Battle of Worcester Society, said, As the arches of this Grade 1 listed bridge are now fully submerged, the entire structure is potentially at risk, akin to vast amounts of water pouring over an open wound. I'm hopeful that Worcestershire County Council is approaching this matter with utmost seriousness, and we eagerly await their plans to restore this highly significant historical bridge. According to Historic England, the bridge was constructed before 1447 and was partially rebuilt during the 17th century. It is constructed from stone with brick and is approximately 60 metres long and up to 7 metres wide. The bridge has a brick parapet approximately 1 metre high with chamfered stone coping, except on the west where it is interrupted by a road. 
A Historic England spokesperson said in a previous statement, we're concerned about the partial collapse of Perwick Bridge after recent storms. We're working with Worcestershire County Council on emergency repairs to make the bridge safe, whilst a scheme of permanent repair works is developed to safeguard this historically important bridge into the future. Worcestershire County Council say there has been no change from the original situation and there are no further updates at this time. Okay, that's worrying, isn't it? Mm. On Friday, call for NHS wax removal. A Worcester resident has helped shine light on a charitable campaign calling for the reformation of earwax removal services on the NHS. Emma Harris, who requires earwax removal every eight weeks due to high wax production and narrow ear canals, shared her experience to RNID, a national hearing loss charity. Its new report reveals that an estimated 2.3 million people in the UK need need earwax removal annually to prevent debilitating earache, hearing loss, tinnitus and crucial access to hearing testing or hearing aid fitting. However, the charity's findings show that less than half of England's integrated care boards, the main NHS services commissioners, currently provide earwax removal services according to public health guidelines, with some areas not commissioning any services at all. Ms Harris's earwax removal procedures were initially available on the NHS, but halted during the pandemic. She now covers these services privately, amounting to £40 per treatment, as well as being put on an indefinite NHS waiting list for three years now. She explained, When I was 20 and I was living away from home in Birmingham at university, my ears blocked up suddenly and unexpectedly. My new GP did not do earwax removal, so they referred me to the hospital in Worcester. I had to wait four months for an appointment due to cancellations. I found life difficult during this time and spent most of the time in the house. Herefordshire and Worcestershire is one of three in England that restrict access to NHS earwax removal services, including non-commission of services in Herefordshire, making it one of the worst regions to access the service in the country. The ICB plans to launch a new adult hearing service from April to facilitate over 50s earwax removal only when obstructing a diagnosis. Victoria Bowman, RNID's Director of Insight and Policy, said it is absolutely wrong that people in England who need earwax removal to be able to hear and take part in everyday life are being left to face painful and debilitating symptoms, forced to fork out for private treatment or risk dangerous self-removal methods. And a lovely story here uh, about Pancake Day. Choristers of Worcester Cathedral got their running shoes out as they participated in the annual pancake race. The cherished event, titled the Flipping Fantastic Annual Pancake Race, is held in the Cathedral Cloisters, with pupils from King St Albans Prep School and the King's School Worcester participating. The event marks the start of Lent and celebrates Shrove Tuesday. The choristers split into two teams, Decani, overseen by Assistant Director of Music Nicholas Freestone, and Cantoris, led by Canon John Paul Hoskins. Dressed in cassocks, they had to run through a challenging course laden with obstacles and tasks to complete. They had tasks like balancing a beanbag on their heads, passing a hoop over their body, holding a pan topped with a pancake and flipping it at every corner of the cloister. It was the Cantorist team that claimed victory, earning the title of this year's champions. The choristers, 
an assembly of talented boys and girls aged between 7 to 10, are the oldest part of King's Worcester's history. Nick Hawker, the headmaster of King's St Albans, who watched the race from the sidelines, said, It was a pleasure to support both our choristers and Worcester Cathedral for this much-loved tradition. Watching the choristers work together, laugh and giggle in each other's company was delightful. And accompanying the article are some wonderful photos of the children in their flowing red cassocks, wielding frying pans and trying to balance beanbags on their heads at the same time. I should think they had a wonderful time. It looks very joyous. <laughs> nice thing to, to talk about. Right. The former Sansom Walk swimming pool is set to be transformed into 40 affordable homes. The site, previously owned by Worcester City Council, has been officially transferred to Worcester-based Sanctuary, one of the UK's largest housing and care providers. The site had been vacant since its closure in December 2016, following the huge multi-million pound redevelopment of the city's Perdiswell Leisure Centre. Due to its prolonged vacancy, the pool, which had previously been open for 46 years, saw the asbestos-ridden building becoming a site of vandalism and antisocial behaviour. It was eventually demolished in 2021 at an estimated cost of £2.64 million after years of setbacks and delays. The council agreed to move ahead with demolishing the building in January 2017 before deciding the land would be used for new homes later that summer. The city council had then agreed to sell the site to Sanctuary Housing and YMCA, that was in March 2018, who initially planned to build 76 accommodation units for 18 to 35-year-olds and a business and enterprise hub, before reducing to the current development of 40 properties. In May 2023, the council opted to delay the completion of the project until March 2025, when the cost-sharing of the demolished pool project became the subject of ongoing discussions between the City Council and Sanctuary. An agreement was ultimately reached ahead of the deadline the following month. Having received planning permission, Sanctuary's work on the site to remove surplus materials from the demolition of the former swimming pool will begin in the coming weeks. The actual construction of the new homes is anticipated to commence later in the year. The completed development is set to feature a mix of one-bedroom flats and two- to four-bedroom houses in efforts to introduce more affordable housing in Worcester. Ahead of the project officially starting, Sanctuary's UK Development Director David Suthill said, We have a major presence in Worcester and are committed to investing in the city and delivering high-quality new homes for local people. This is a significant step and I'm delighted we can now push forward and turn our plans for this important site in the heart of the city into a reality. OK. New Life for Old Hospital. The city's old hospital will be reinvigorated with a series of interactive exhibits and displays following a recent grant. Arts Council England has provided a grant for the project at the University of Worcester-run Infirmary Museum with financial support amounting to roughly £60,000 from the National Lottery. Arts Council England, which is funded by the National Lottery and sponsored by the Department for Culture, Media and Sport, is responsible for supporting thousands of community, individual and cultural organisations across the country. 
The new exhibits, which will document the changes in medical practices over time, will not only affect the visitor experience, but also the university's teaching. Established to maintain the history of Worcester Royal Infirmary, which once operated in the same building, the assortment of displays range from various periods, from medical uniforms to anatomy models and even medical equipment. Visitors who are former patients or staff members of the hospital will have the opportunity to contribute towards a special memory board. The grant will also fund the creation of three interactive platforms named the Amputation Station, Microscope Station and Keyhole Surgery Station. Harriet Hathaway, curator of the museum, said, Our museum tells the story of Worcestershire's hospital formerly on the site and we're keen to attract even more visitors to share that story further. We believe that the new interactive installations will add extra interest, particularly for our younger visitors, and bring some of the medical procedures and medical discoveries to life. By attracting even more people, we can preserve that history for future generations, showing how medical care has changed and evolved over time and the hospital's place in that journey. Providing glimpses of historic medical procedures, the stations will offer the public, as well as university students, chances to experience, and I would stress that that's an inverted commas, to experience keyhole surgery, inspect slides under a microscope and learn about amputation techniques in detail. Miss Hathaway also expressed hopes that advancements to the interactive side of the museum will prompt further collaboration with various university departments, such as the new Three Counties Medical School, and help involve the wider public, including nearby schools. Well, down to earth with a bang here. A warning has been issued after reports of fraudsters pretending to be police. People have been told to be on their guard against criminals claiming to be working with West Mercia Police. The scam known as courier fraud involves fraudsters, fraudsters, it's hard to say that, pretending to be legitimate police officers who claim to be from the fraud squad or New Scotland Yard, but they're criminals targeting potential victims. The fake officers will often tell residents their bank card has been used in a fraudulent transaction and then use other actors to verify this. They may then pretend an investigation has been conducted and get a fake colleague to collect the card. Other tactics include persuading people to part with cash or expensive items like watches, which are later collected by a fake courier, such as a taxi driver working with the bogus police officer. The caller will tell their victim to call 999 to confirm the details to the police, except they stay on the phone, so when they think they've dialed the police, they're actually speaking to another person pretending to be an officer. Often, fake police officers will mention an address and basic details about bank accounts before asking residents to place cards in a safe place outside their home or another specified location. West Mercia Police said no one from the force would ask a person for payment or purchase, withdraw or transfer money or request bank details. A spokesperson for West Mercia Police said incidents like these are being tackled as part of Operation Prospero, which directly targets offenders posing as police officers, working in conjunction with Action Fraud, the UK's National Fraud and Cybercrime Reporting Centre. Anyone who thinks they may have been contacted by a bogus police officer should call 101 or report it via our website. Okay, now this story seems to have two stories in one. Um, Plenty to think about in this story. 
Two men are due to appear at Crown Court after a cannabis farm was discovered in Hanbury. Irvin Aliai, aged 24, and Nordodge Ardit, aged 22, both of no fixed address, will have their cases heard at Worcester Crown Court on Thursday, March the 7th. They're both charged with producing a controlled drug of Class B, cannabis, and abstract or use of without authority of electricity of a value unknown. The hearing in March will be for plea and trial preparation. It follows a police raid on a warehouse in Hanbury where 500 plants were discovered on Wednesday, February the 7th. Two days later, the warehouse was almost destroyed in a fire. Hereford and Worcester Fire Service was called out to a large metal farm building along the B4090 Hanbury at 10.16am on Friday, February the 9th. A passerby spotted the fire and called police. Four fire engines from Droitwich, Bromsgrove and Redditch fire stations were on call at the scene as the firefighters tackled the blaze and doused out the flames by early afternoon. James Holder, station commander at Hereford and Worcester Fire Service, said there'd been no reports of people inside at the time. Dealer had a pen gun. It's a headline from Monday's newspaper. A drug dealer who had a firearm disguised as a pen and a crossbow is due to be sentenced. The 46-year-old man is now waiting to discover his sentence for a string of drugs, firearm and weapons offences, including the possession of a sword and a crossbow. Peter Want of St Paul Street, Worcester, was convicted of possession with intent to supply a Class A drug, cocaine, and possession with intent to supply a Class A drug, heroin, when he appeared at Worcester Crown Court on Thursday over offences committed last May. He admitted two counts of possession of a knife blade, sharp-pointed article in a public place, in relation to a black-handled axe and a brown sword in a sheath. He was convicted of two counts of possession um, of an offensive weapon in a public place in relation to a samurai sword and a small black sword, possessing a prohibited weapon, a disguised firearm, a pen gun, possession of ammunition for a firearm without a certificate, and possession of an imitation firearm in a public place in relation to a firing pistol. A pen gun is a firearm that resembles an ink pen. He is further convicted of possessing an offensive weapon in a public place for a crossbow and possession with intent to supply a Class B drug, cannabis, and he's due to be sentenced on Thursday, March the 7th. Detective Constable Callum Goodwin of South Worcestershire Reactive CID said colleagues from the local policing priorities team and specialist firearms officers stopped Want's vehicle recovering a quantity of heroin and crack cocaine from inside. Also recovered were numerous weapons, including a viable firearm concealed as a pen. The reactive CID team progressed the subsequent investigation, uncovering further evidence of drug supply, building a strong case against the defendant, which ultimately led to him pleading guilty at court. And <clears throat> this is a story of, um, you may or may not remember, those two boys that were uh, sailing, not saying, rolling, rowing across the Atlantic and they finally made it. So Worcester boys and they spell it B-U-O-Y-S just to be different. They rise to the challenge and aim to raise over £110,000. There are many easier ways of raising money than rowing across the Atlantic Ocean, but friends Matt Bladen and George Farmerlow are not ones to shy away from a challenge. 
Known as the Worcester Boys, they completed the gruelling World's Toughest Row in memory of city teenager Jack Dyer in a 25-foot-long Rannoch boat over 40 days, including Christmas. They sailed 3,000 miles from the Canary Islands to Antigua in the Caribbean, sorry, Antigua, and hoped to raise at least a stunning £110,000 for Acorn's Children's Hospice in the process. But there was no end to the tests in store for the duo, who bonded while at King's School Worcester over a love of rowing. Matt, 27, said, It was crazy. The challenge appealed to us. It was much more of a mental challenge, though, than physical, a hundred times more. Our bodies were attacked from everywhere. You were coping with exhaustion, sleep patterns, constant rowing and constant niggles. It was a proper endurance event. We were burning 7,000 to 8,000 calories. George lost five kilograms and I lost six kilograms, but that was quite positive as many were losing between 10 and 20. We were really shoveling the food down at times. We were rowing for 12 hours a day constantly, but also trying to enjoy life by doing things like crosswords on the deck. We heard unofficially that it was one of the hardest years ever in terms of conditions. I was really seasick for the first three days. I was throwing up every 20 minutes. I remember saying to George that I thought I was in trouble because I couldn't keep the food down and was at massive risk of dehydration. But I managed to keep myself sane and not go delirious and eventually managed to keep some water and food down. George, 26, and Matt managed to stay firm friends despite the challenges ahead ahead of both of them going back to a more regular daily routine with jobs in London. Matt continued, We were really happy with how we responded to the challenge. You never know until you're in that environment. A lot of crews have fallen out, and when things go wrong, people end up not speaking again. They go in as friends and then are enemies when they leave. But it didn't happen to us. We had a lot of intense debates, not necessarily about rowing, but then a pod of whales would pop up and and we'd get distracted. There was always something to lift your spirits. When I was suffering from seasickness, we were passed by a pod of dolphins. A flying fish hit me in the face in the middle of the night and a squid hit me in the arm. The ocean, it all makes you feel so small, especially when you have a whale next to you. They could lift the boat. It's not in their nature, but physically they could if they wanted to. And marlins were striking holes in boats. Other crews saw big sharks and you could be affected by large waves. But thankfully we were okay. The ocean strips everything away from you and it's a very humbling experience. The duo have already paid a poignant visit to Acorns with the father of Jack, the 16-year-old who had cerebral palsy and inspired them to raise the money. Jack, whose family lived next door to Matt in Clains, was looked after by the hospice and died in 2020. The intrepid duo have also visited staff and pupils at Broadwas Primary School, which Matt used to attend, and helped with fundraising, as well as having visited King's. Matt added of their return, It was just a whirlwind initially. Over the first five days, neither George nor I got much sleep, despite having soft, warm beds that weren't rocking around. We've been catching up with family and sorting things in Antigua. What a jolly good effort, I have to say. Yeah, worth reading. I'm sorry it went on a long time. Right. A nurse hit by a car outside her home has kept the driver's broken wing mirror as evidence after she challenged him in the street only to be told, I'll do what I like, I'm old. 
Vicky Ravenhill, a nurse and florist, was putting flowers into her car outside her home in Raglan Street in Barborn when she heard an engine revving. She says she attempted to get out of the way of the male driver, but the wing mirror clipped her arm as he drove past, hitting her with such force that the case for the wing mirror came off the car. The 49-year-old, who runs Victoria Blooms in Bromyard, said she also hurt her ankle as she tried to get out of the way during the incident at around 9.10am on Monday. I thought, oh my God, he's going to run me over. I tried to get out of the way and he just drove into me. The wing mirror hit my arm and part of it fell off. I went to call police and they asked, are you seriously injured? I said, no. So they said, just file a report online. I was really shaken up. When she saw the same driver again, around 25 to 30 minutes later, she said she challenged him about what happened and tried his car door, but he had the lock on. Mrs Ravenhill said she told him she had his registration and had called police, at which point he pulled over and got out of the car. She added, he started threatening me, waving his walking stick. I said, why did you just drive off? He said, I wanted to get my newspaper. I told him he'd knocked into me and didn't stop. He said, I'm old, I can do what I like. There's no damage to your car. I said, but I've hurt my ankle and my arm. He said, I don't care, prove it. There are no witnesses. Mrs Ravenhill said she'd got proof, his car registration and the car part, which she said he'd demanded back. I said, sorry, you're not getting your car part back. I'm going to hand it into the police. It's evidence, she said. Despite her injuries, she did not seek medical attention though she said she has had a throbbing pain in her shoulder since the incident. She said she has reported the incident online to West Mercia Police and was given a reference. A spokesperson for West Mercia Police said, any report made online is reviewed by our public contact team and allocated according to threat, risk and harm. Righty-ho. A Worcester resident who says he is in agony has spoken out over his alleged neglect by the NHS after repeated cancellations for a hernia operation. Mike Hugh from Barbourne in Worcester says he's been ignored despite his desperate plea to arrange his operation. Mr Hugh, 62, had been due to have a hernia operation on his right groin in December last year, only to be told eight hours after the operation was scheduled that it had been cancelled because the theatres were way behind schedule. While the operation was rescheduled for February, he was then told there was no, oper- no record of his operation on the NHS database. Despite complaining to Patient Advice and Liaison Service, Powell's, Mr Hugh has had no response as to when he will be able to have his operation. He said, I suffer with a bad hip and knee, so I was due to have injections, which I have had before, but I was told that I couldn't because of high blood sugar, as I am diabetic. I thought it was really strange as after four or five injections I was told I can't have another one. Then I was supposed to have a hernia operation last December at 7.30 in the morning. I was second on the list, then fourth, then fifth, and then I was told at 5.30pm that the theatre was way behind so my operation wouldn't be going ahead. I complained to Powell's and had my operation rebooked for February the 9th in Redditch with a pre-op on the 6th at Worcestershire Royal but it was again cancelled as their database had no record of the operation. Worcester Clinic also told me that I couldn't have the operation because my sugar levels were too high, and I thought, what's going on? 
Pals assured me that they were looking into it, but I haven't had a response. I don't know when my operation is booked for, and I feel completely neglected. I don't like to complain, because the NHS have a difficult job, but it's a shambles. I'm in pain, but they don't seem to care about the pain I'm in. Worcester Acute Hospital's NHS Trust said, We make every effort to avoid cancelling operations, because we know how distressing it can be for patients. We're sorry if Mr Hugh is unhappy with any aspect of his care and would advise him to contact our Patient Advice and Liaison Service on 0300 123 1732 or email. Mm -hmm. Well, I love stories about dogs and here we go. Worcestershire's oldest pair of charity rescue dogs are thriving a year on from finally finding their forever home at a combined age of 37. Collie Crosses, Sheba, 19, and Teddy, 18, are aged the total equivalent of a staggering 269 in dog years and are still going strong. The veteran pooches were taken into the care of the Dogs Trust in Evesham in Wickhamford after their owner sadly passed away in November 2022. However, nobody came forward to give them the retirement home they needed after they were repeatedly overlooked due to their ageing years. Dogs Trust volunteer Sue Lewis stepped in as she couldn't bear the thought of the pair being separated after a lifetime of being looked after together as beloved pets. Sue, 70, and husband Peter, 67, took in the inseparable duo 12 months ago and, stay, and say they are still as sprightly as ever. Sheba and Teddy were the oldest pair of dogs ever cared for by the animal charity and had faced an uncertain future in January last year. Now they enjoy going for walkies round the golf course near the couple's home in Redditch, as well as regular trips to Cornwall and the beach. Company director Peter said, In the last four weeks we've had people all over asking us how the dogs are getting on and they're both absolutely thriving. They might be 19 and 18 years old now, but they really don't look it. Sheba is a bit of a diver. She reminds me of Grace Kelly. She's all very prim and proper, whereas Teddy's more of a Del Boy character. He really makes me laugh and has a sort of cockney swagger, if that's even possible. Chris Slight, rehoming centre manager at Dogs Trust Evesham, said at the time, Sheba and Teddy's world was turned upside down when their owner died. We were all eager to find them a home together, which was proving difficult due to their age and because we were looking for an owner to take on a pair. Luckily, Sue fell in love with them and it's been the ideal outcome for everyone. We know they'll be very happy with Sue and Pete who will make sure they have everything they could hope for in their final forever home. Oh, warms the heart, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's a lovely story. Right. Alterations to the ward boundaries for the council will be in place for the upcoming local elections. The change has received final approval from Parliament, meaning that Worcester City Council will see the adjustments apply for the election on Thursday, May the 2nd. Although the council will continue with 35 councillors, they will now be distributed across 16 wards and increased from the current 15. Three of the wards, Claines, Nunnery and Warnden and Albury Park, will host three councillors each, while the rest will have two. The changes are the product of the Local Government Boundary Commission for England's review. As an independent body, it assesses each council in the country roughly every 20 years. An extensive 18-month consultation took place in Worcester before the final recommendations, which led to the changes being approved in Parliament.
Shane Flynn, returning officer for the council, said we're grateful to both the LGBCE, that's the Local Government Boundary Commission for England, and to Parliament for their conduct of this important process and we're pleased that these changes have been written into law in plenty of time before the election campaign begins. We'll now be writing to each household in Worcester that will be in a different ward in this year's election to make them aware of the changes. Key changes in the ward reshuffle include splitting the current cathedral ward into two new wards named Fort Royal and Arboretum. The Gorse Hill and Warnden wards will join to form the Warnden and Elbury Park ward. The boundary between the current wards of Bedwardine and St John will be adjusted to facilitate the birth of the new ward, Dines Green and Grove Farm. The residents of Warnden Parish North and Warnden Parish South should note that their areas will now be known respectively as St Nicholas and Leopard Hill. In line with these changes, there will also be a shift from councillors being elected each year to electing all 35 seats at once in an all-out election. The winning councillors will then serve an extended term of four years. For more detailed information and to see an interactive representation of the new ward boundaries, residents may visit www.worcester.gov.uk forward slash elections. Now, potential trouble with your cuppa. British shoppers have been warned that they could struggle to find tea on the shelves due to supply issues facing supermarkets. Sainsbury's has cautioned shoppers in some stores that there are nationwide problems which could impact the availability of black tea. But retail bosses have said that the problems are temporary and stress that the impact on consumers is expected to be minimal. A sign in one Sainsbury's store read, We are experiencing supply issues affecting the nationwide supply of black tea. We apologise for any inconvenience and hope to be back in full supply soon. Sainsbury's has been contacted for comment. It is understood that the supply problems, which are partly linked to disruption of shipments through the Red Sea, are specifically linked to just one supermarket tea supplier. Andrew Opie, Director of Food and Sustainability at the British Retail Consortium, said, There is some temporary disruption to some black tea lines, but the impact on consumers will be minimal, as retailers are not expecting significant challenges. Tea is largely produced in Asia and East Africa, with China, India, Sri Lanka and Kenya producing around three quarters of tea globally. Freight shipments from these regions have faced major disruption over the past two months due to attacks in the Red Sea. Violence by Houthi rebels in the region caused most shipping firms, using the key trade route which heads around the Suez, towards the Suez Canal, to redirect shipments around the Cape of Good Hope at the foot of Africa. This adds roughly 10 to 14 days over shipment times, as well as increased costs for shipping firms. Sparsha Garwal, owner of several tea gardens in Darjeeling in India and founder of Dorjay Teas, told the I newspaper in December that tea shipments were being stalled due to the disruption. We sent shipments to the US and Europe two weeks ago, he said, but they are still in Bombay port and they have not been picked up yet, he told the newspaper at the time. Joint strikes from the US and UK have been launched on the Yemen-based Houthis in recent weeks in a bid to stop the recent wave of attacks. A county man has undergone an incredible transformation after doctors warned he probably wouldn't live to see 50. 
Wayne Haywood, 57, went for his HGV medical check around eight years ago when he was told his weight put him at a risk of a heart attack. Then weighing 27 stone, Mr Haywood couldn't kneel to play with his grandchildren and found the barriers of his weight frustrating. Mr Haywood, an HGV driver from Wolverley near Kidderminster, said, The doctor told me I probably wouldn't live to see 50. It felt like I was carrying around two people all the time. People would sometimes snigger and it was really humiliating. I knew something had to change as I wanted to live for my children and grandchildren. Mr Haywood decided to turn his life around and joined Slimming World to help him shed the pounds. Eight years later, the drivers managed to lose almost 14 stone. He said, I feel like a completely different person. I can play with the grandchildren, I can breathe easier and I can even and I even feel younger. It's completely changed my life. There were times when I felt like giving up, but it's the best decision I've ever made and I feel like a better person too. His wife, Paula Haywood, 52, who is a Slimming World consultant and works for Jet2, said, I'm just so proud of him for reaching his dream weight. It's not just about the physical challenges. It's required Wayne to have a complete mental turnaround. It's been fantastic seeing his confidence grow. Mr Haywood has since returned for another HGV medical check with the same doctor, giving him a clean bill of health. He added, It was the same doctor that had seen me all those years ago and he just couldn't believe I was the same person. He said it was a remarkable transformation and I'm as fit as a fiddle. Well, earlier in this particular um, number of Talking Newspaper, Pippa read a story about what was going to happen to Debenhams. And here's an article where readers react to the hotel plan for Debenhams. Worcester News readers have been reacting to news of plans to turn the former Debenhams store on the High Street into a hotel. Um, on Monday, we revealed exclusively, that was when Pip, what Pippa read out, that the former Debenhams building could be converted into a hotel with potential for commercial occupiers on the ground and basement floors. As reported, Nick Carroll Architects, who represent the freeholders of the building, are currently in motion with the pre-planning application. Readers swiftly voiced their opinions on the new development on Facebook, with a range of suggestions for the building emerging. Angeline Smith said, would like to have seen it turned into a good old-fashioned indoor market where people could get shopping with independent butchers, bakers and greengrocers. Her sentiment was echoed by Stephen Rawlings, who added, turn it into a farmer's market, better idea. Meanwhile, Lorna Maria Jeeves suggested a purpose-built area for the city's youth, commenting, what about a massive sensory centre, some sort of trampoline park or something for kids and teenagers to do? Mickey J. Powell had an alternative idea, suggesting if it's turned into anything, it should be a place for people to meet up, a helping hand centre for veterans, a low-cost food centre for the poor or disadvantaged. Architect Mr Carroll, whose office is on Broad Street, has said his aim is to transform the familiar city building in the High Street and revitalise its central location. He also mentioned that there have been positive talks with the council regarding the new plans and that signs advertising previous plans for an artisan food hall will be removed as soon as the hotel development takes steps closer. Not all readers were opposed to the idea of a hotel. Pauline Jenkins said, That sounds a good idea, anything to stop it looking such an eyesore. Let's try and make our lovely city something to be proud of. 
Similarly, Jim Partridge felt it could offer a much-needed alternative, saying, in principle, it's a good idea, offering an alternative hotel to what's available currently. Be interesting to see what the commercial occupiers will be. I don't think we need any more coffee shops or hairdressers or barbers, thank you. Some lovely independent traders with good products would be nice. It would. National Award for Key Health Care Trio. That's a good story. Three healthcare support workers have been lauded with a national accolade from England's chief nurse. Gemma Mulrine, John Wilson and Jade Maddox from Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust were presented with the Chief Nursing Officer Healthcare Support Worker Award. The winners received a unique pin badge and a certificate signed by NHS Chief Nursing Officer Dame Ruth May after nominations from colleagues. Ms Mulrine is the professional development team member educating new healthcare support workers to complete their competency programme and their care certificate. Her colleagues praised her excellent leadership, warmth and overwhelmingly positive support within the clinical environment, which has made an enormous difference to the retention of our support workers. Mr Wilson, a support worker in Worcestershire Royal Hospital's emergency department, was nominated for his commitment to showing compassion and care to patients, relatives and other staff members. Ms Maddox, based on Ward 9 at Redditch's Alexandra Hospital, was described as the type of person to appear with what you need before you even realise that you need it yourself. It also commended her patient handling skills and compassion. The Trust's chief nurse, Sarah Shingler, presented the awards. She said, Healthcare support workers are at the heart of clinical settings and make a real difference every day to the lives of patients as well as nursing and midwifery colleagues they support. We're delighted to have three healthcare support workers receive this honour from Dame Ruth May. Gemma, John and Jade have been fantastic role models and deserve huge recognition and celebration for all that they do. Celebrations are in order at Worcester Cathedral after it received a £200,000 grant to go towards its landscaping project. The grant from the Wolfson Foundation is to help fund the restoration and interpretation of College Yard. This comes as fantastic news for the cathedral, an architectural landmark since the 10th century. The project primarily focuses on upgrading the cathedral's main north entrance, developing it as an inviting green square where the cathedral and city meet. The work kicked off this week with tree management developments ahead of archaeological workers picking up the mantle in the coming weeks. College Yard is the site of significant monuments and trees but has suffered with car parking, car parking misuse, varying surface quality and poor signage, making the space ripe for renovation. The grant will support the cathedral's vision of providing a green haven, better entrance points, enhanced signage and wayfinding, and a safe sanctuary for visitors. Chief Operating Officer at the Cathedral, Matthew Hall, said, The landscaping work on College Yard represents a significant milestone for the Cathedral, as it constitutes the realisation of the first phase of the Cathedral's landscape master plan. It also represents the development of a significant partnership with the City of Worcester that will improve the links between the Cathedral and the City, and encourage more people to enjoy and engage with the amazing heritage that we have to offer. Mm. 
Noisy machinery running through the night at a retail park has led to calls for an urgent investigation and fines after official warnings were ignored by contractors. Residents in Blackpool complained of five consecutive nights of noise during resurfacing work at Elgar Retail Park in Worcester, owned by Legal and General. Now they fear similar disturbances will occur in future, as they believe site managers behave as if residents don't exist. We've previously reported how residents lost sleep because of the heavy machinery, including jackhammers, rollers and bulldozers, working all evening and into the early hours of the morning. Now Jill de Serra, who represents residents as the city councillor for the area, is calling for an investigation after the work continued between 8pm and 4am on five consecutive nights starting on Monday, January the 29th. The Labour councillor hand-delivered letters to residents in Mason's Drive, Salter's Close, Draper's Close and Barber's Close, in which she wrote... I've spoken with several families who told me about the deafening noise and intrusive lights which severely disrupted their sleep. After the work started, notices were issued by Worcestershire Regulatory Services telling the site manager to stop working beyond a reasonable hour. This was ignored and the work carried on for several further nights. This is unacceptable, outrageous behaviour on the part of the contractors and on behalf of residents I will be pursuing the matter further. Matt Brown of Salter's Close said over the years residents who live opposite the retail park have faced a catalogue of disturbances. He said, the retail park was built after the estate. It's as if we don't exist. We're just collateral damage. It's total arrogance and they need to be fined to stop them. A spokesperson for Worcester City Council said, last week following a complaint, Worcestershire Regulatory Services contacted the company to seek an informal resolution to the alleged noise problem caused by the repair work. As we were informed that there would be no further disturbance to residents, an abatement notice was not served. This remains an option, should there be any further nuisance. Worcester Municipal Charities has announced it will issue five major grants to local charities, totalling over £300,000. The decision was revealed in its annual meeting in January and is in line with their commitment to those in need in the region. The charities lucky enough to receive the significant financial contributions are Citizens Advice Worcester, £205,000 Worcester Community Trust, £45,000 Mags Day Centre for the Homeless, £35,000 Armchair Free Furniture, £18,000 and Shop Mobility Scooters, £7,000 This year, the proposed grants have been increased by about 6.7% due to inflation and are subject to satisfactory applications by those charities. Citizens Advice Worcester was awarded by far the largest grant of 205,000, reflecting its dedication to providing free advice on benefits, money management, housing, debt counselling and legal matters. A a further 36,000 was awarded to Uh, Citizens Advice Worcester for its rent-free office accommodation at the Old Glove Factory, where its homeless service Smart Let's is based. Charities Chairman Paul Griffith, MBE, said during 2022-2023, their money management advisor, sponsored by uh, Worcester Citizens Advice, interviewed 93 individual clients, helping them deal with 307 issues relating to benefits, energy and water bills, finances, employment and debt issues. 
He also assisted a further 131 individuals, supporting them with multiple issues at the Worcester Open Door Drop-In Advice Service sessions. Mr Griffith added, the local Citizens Advice Debt and Money Service also advised and assisted 1,400 clients to reschedule or receive a write-off of debts amounting to 875,000 in total across all their services. In addition, the debt, the debt caseworkers obtained other financial gains for clients of £357,000 in total across all their services. The initiative not only helped over 5,000 clients in Worcester in the last year, but also facilitated financial gains totalling £2.5 million across all citizens' advice services. Well, this is an unusual story. One would almost think it had April Fool's attached to it, but no, listen on. Anyone in the vicinity of the Swan Theatre on Tuesday morning may have wondered why there were so many mums and dads with buggies, changing bags and their glorious babies heading out en masse. Speaking on behalf of the theatre, Sarah Jane Morgan said, It was a first for us as we hosted BYOB Comedy, Bring Your Own Baby Comedy, and I'm joyous to report that it was an incredible event with 128 parents and, of course, roughly 100-odd babies too. The event offers attendees a fully adult show because the babies are under the age of 15 months and the comedians didn't hold back. The event offered our patrons a bit of normality and escape from their day-to-day routines but without the need to find a babysitter, worry about rushing home for the next feed and the chance to meet with fellow comedy goers all in the same boat, all mutually exhausted, harassed and looking for a little bit of escapism. The babies cried, but we aimed to make the experience as relaxed as possible for everyone who came, with buggy parking, extra friendly stewards and extra staff on hand. Parents could move around the auditorium as much as needed, play with the toys in the foyer, feed as needed and change their babies at the numerous pop-up change stations positioned around the building so that no one missed the comedy. The lighting was sensory to enhance the baby's enjoyment, but this show was for the parents. The comedians were all parents themselves, and everyone laughed at the shared joys and challenges of parenthood. I was thrilled with the feedback from the event. Running a community theatre means programming for the widest possible audience, making sure everyone can find a place for themselves and a chance to engage with the arts. This was our greatest success this year in reaching a new audience demographic, and it's only February. The next BYOB comedy is set for June the 4th at 12 noon. Get tickets at www.worcestertheatres.co.uk. I think I might have to borrow a baby and go along and see what it's like. (laughs) This is picking up, actually, on... uh, I think it was a story I read about Poet Bridge and its um, history as being significant during the Battle of Worcester. Um, If you're interested in that dimension, there's a talk on the Civil War in Worcestershire due to take place at the Hive in Worcester. The talk by Max Keane is due to take place in the Glass Room at the Hive on Tuesday, February the 27th. Organised by the Battle of Worcester Society, the doors open at 6.30pm, ready for the talk at 7.15pm. Tickets cost £7 or £5 if you're a member of the Society, or £3 if you're a student. Tickets are available 
by phoning 01905-358640 or by visiting the Battle of Worcester Society website. Well, that concludes the um, general news stories for the week. So we'll move swiftly on to sport. And Phil, you can kick us off. Please. Oh, dear. Uh, sorry yes. about the pun. Unfortunately, <laughs> this is cricket. So oh, OK. I shall open the bowling or something like that. Anyway. Giles still open to idea of second overseas signing. Worcester Chief Executive Officer Ashley Giles has not ruled out the possibility of a second overseas signing ahead of the 2024 county championship season. Speaking on the new Three Pairs chat show, Giles was speaking about recruitment for this upcoming season and hinted that there may still be a few more faces to come in. Will we add? Maybe. We are always looking for right people, but right now we are comfortable, Giles said. We are looking at that area, that is the second overseas player. We have a few niggles within our bowling attack, so we may well go for a second overseas player in that area, particularly for those first seven games. In Division 1, it could be a real challenge, so we need to start really well. And I want to give Richo, that's Alan Richardson, the head coach, as much support as I can, as much firepower going into those first seven games. But bringing the right people into the club is the number one thing. It is the biggest investment to sign players on two, three-year contracts, and you have to get the right people. And I'm really comfortable and happy with the business we have done over the winter and the end of last season. The temptation when you lose players is almost a bit like whack-a-mole, but you just try and fill the gaps. But we have done our homework and research on players, and we are happy with where we are at. Worcestershire have New Zealand and Nathan Smith at their disposal across all formats as the club's overseas signing this season, joining fellow new arrivals Tom Taylor, Ethan Brooks and Josh Cobb. Worcester Athletics Club's women are celebrating promotion into Division 1 of the Midland Women's Cross-Country League. The team produced some excellent performances in the final Division 2 race at the Holt Heath University campus near Worcester. Both their senior and master teams finished in silver position, with an impressive five runners finishing in the top 30, led by Emma Robertson in fifth place out of a field of over 200. News of their promotion spread to the senior men's team competing in Division 1 of the Birmingham Cross Country League in Northampton, who secured 7th place overall in the region's top league. Next season, the club's men and women will compete at the same venues against the best clubs and universities in the whole of the Midlands, much to the joy of all the runners, team managers, coaches and officials. The full results of all the members in the final race of the season are as follows. In 5th place, Emma Robertson. 11th, Nixie Turner. 16th, Sally Russell. 17th, Izzy Jevons. 28th, Sarah Patterson. 44th, Kat Hutchison. 77th, Karen Holland. 123rd, Jill Jubb. And 168th, Maggie Crosswell. And the article is accompanied by a lovely picture of them all looking very happy with their achievement on the back page. Okay, so Worcester City football now, although quite a lot of this article is rather more about their opponents than about Worcester City team, anyway. Worcester City have been drawn at home in the Isuzu FA Vars quarterfinals after the draw was made on Monday. City, favourites with the bookies to win the tournament, will face second favourites, Elmley, 
at Clane's Lane on March the 9th, 3pm kickoff. Emily beat Wickham 2-0 on Saturday, thanks to second-half goals from Charlie Barks and James Walshaw in front of a crowd of just over 800 to book their place in the last eight, where they will face a city side who thumped local rivals Starport Swifts in front of 1,900 people. City's opponents are enjoying a similarly successful campaign to date. They sit top of the Northern Counties East Football League Premier Division, Step 5, by three points, with two games in hand on second-placed Campion. They have won 19 of their 27 games, losing just two and drawing the other six. They're also unbeaten away from home in the league just like City, and in all have been beaten just five times in all competitions. Whilst it is impressive, it is not quite the same record as Chris Cornside, who have lost just twice in the entire 2023-24 season and will, with home advantage, go into the contest as favourites. Well, that's it for the sport this week. Precious little, if I'm honest. And we've got left, first of all, the sunrise and sunset times, which I've carefully written down on a piece of paper here. Uh, the sun rises tomorrow at 7.25 in the morning and sets in the evening at 17.21pm. And that's obviously for Friday, the 16th of February, That uh, time, those times. Uh, birthday file. Well, I had a quick glance at it earlier and I'm... Very sad to say that we've got no birthdays to celebrate this week. Um, so please, if you have a birthday in this part of February, do let us know because it would be nice to have someone to wish a happy birthday to. Uh, moving on, we have Thought for the Week, which I think Phil is going to read for us. Indeed. Thank and you. this week's comes from Acts chapter 13, verses 32 to 34. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, You are my son. Today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. Thank you, Phil. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's recording. I'd like to thank uh, readers today, Catherine and Phil and engineer John, and particularly to all the people in copying and admin without whom you would not receive our recording. So thank you very much. And that remains for me to wish you a good week ahead and for us all to say goodbye. So it's goodbye from me, Pippa. It's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And here are the obituaries for this week. Barbara Booker passed away on the 23rd of January. Funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium on Friday the 16th of February at 1.45pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for Acorns Children's Hospice Trust may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to EJ Gummery and Son and they'll be found at 68 to 70 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Alan Keat passed away on the 28th of January. The funeral service will be at the Vale Crematorium, Evesham, on Friday the 16th of February at 9.30. Donations, if desired, to Macmillan website, Alan Keat, that's A-L-A-N-K-E-Y-T-E, dot muchloved.com.
Margaret McCranchy passed away on the 9th of January. The funeral service at St John's Baptist Church Claims was on Wednesday the 14th of February at 12. It was family flowers only, um, but donations, if desired, Cancer Research UK may be sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, and if you remember, that's at 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3, 7EU. June Brennan passed away on the 24th of January, aged 89 years. The funeral service at Worcester Crematorium will be on Monday, the 19th of February at 10.45am. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for Worcester Snurzelin may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Joan Owens of Beverley passed away on the 2nd of February, aged 97. The funeral service will be at St John the Baptist Church, Clanes, on Wednesday the 21st of February at 1.30pm, followed by a private committal at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for St Richard's Hospice may be left on the collection plate at church or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son again at 68-70 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Thelma Wellam of Lower Broadheath and Worcester passed away on the 2nd of February, aged 86. The funeral service will be at Christ Church, Lower Broadheath, on Wednesday the 21st of February at 11.15am, followed by interment at the churchyard. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for the Acorns Children's Hospice Trust and may be left on the collection plate at church or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3, 7EU. Marilyn Williams passed away peacefully on the 1st of February, aged 78. The funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, the 22nd of February, at 2.30pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for Dementia UK may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, 68-70, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3-7EU. Thank you. 